welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon, Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Obviously doing a special episode here with the news of Monty Williams being hired as the new head coach for the Detroit Pistons. But before we get to that, we did have a new rating and review. We always appreciate this Apple, Spotify. You guys have been crushing it on Spotify. We're up over, well over 200 now. Obviously now on YouTube, hit the bell, subscribe, all of that stuff. We're going live anytime we record an episode. But this was from Steve Tab. Says, simply the best, Namari. There are several great Pistons podcasts, but the Pistons Pulse has to be the best. Bryce, Omari, and Wes give interesting, in-depth, and most importantly, objective analysis. This isn't a show about hot takes or never-ending negativity. If you love Pistons basketball, this is the show for you. You know, it's always great to hear that type of feedback. I mean, we say it all the time, but the reviews that we get from you all are always very in-depth and make us feel good. You know, it's good to know that people are listening to us and respect our opinions and that, you know, we're talking about up here. So, you know, again, if you have any any pressing thoughts you want to get off, hopefully positive, but, you know, we, we, we can take negative too. Go ahead, uh, log on to Spotify, Apple, uh, give us a review. Uh, we'd love to see it. Before we get into this, just the Remind everybody, we will drop on Wednesday for the next few weeks. So just want to make sure you guys know that. Look out for the podcast on Wednesdays. We just have some scheduling stuff. And then this next week, we're going to record with Keith Smith. So if you want to see it live, it'll be Sunday morning. We're recording with Keith Smith, looking at the Pistons offseason, and then that'll drop on Wednesday. So just reminder, Wednesday episode drops for the next few weeks. We will do an NBA draft. And if you're watching with us here on YouTube, the person that left that review steve is here with yeah. us joining us live and guys we Shout love steve. yes we love doing this it just adds a whole different dynamic to the episode we're going to take your questions we're really going to lean on you guys in this episode once we get going we'll probably go 30 40 minutes couple segments here amari let's start it off monty williams gets the big money we had talked about it we had heard that he was the Pistons were interested in him and then that maybe he wasn't interested in coaching this year can you talk about how this all came together yeah, so I wrote a story, uh, this is probably three weeks ago now, uh, just about the Pistons considering opening their search up to more experienced candidates. And the story specifically talked about Monty Williams because he was the really the one person that, when I talked to people, that they would bring up. Like, oh, if we could get Monty, like, that would be amazing, right? Like, he was the one name that kept coming up. So, you know, I wrote that story not really knowing where it was going to go. Uh, Monty had just been uh, fired at the time. And, you know, just the word, was that he might take a year off afterwards. So uh, he was more of a long shot for the Pistons at that point, and he did initially turn them down. But uh, the Pistons just never really, you know, fully gave up on that idea of going after him. Uh, they didn't offer him uh, when they first talked to him right after the, the lottery. Uh, they didn't offer him really until uh, this past weekend. But uh, initially, Monty was going to take a year off, and then he kind of made it clear we we could talk about it, right? Uh, he didn't want to completely shut the door on it. Uh, there were there were two teams that uh, he was he was talking to, interested in coaching, and Detroit was one of those two teams. So uh, they met with Kevin Ali and uh, Charles Lee uh, each second time late last week. Uh, you know, I know Friday when we recorded last week, I said that it, it was down to basically those two candidates, and that was that was true on Friday, <laughs> and then Saturday, uh, you know, they front office sat down, figured out, okay, where are we? You know, where are we with Kevin Ali? Where are we with Charles Lee? And they weren't quite there. And then Sunday, uh, they renewed the 
well, I won't say renewed. I would say the push for Monty Williams became a lot more serious. So they flew him out to Los Angeles and talked to him and uh, talked about the deal, what he would need, this and that. And then it moved pretty quickly from that point on once it became clear that Monty was interested in the job. And of course, they paid him very handsomely, uh, $78.5 million, which is the most guaranteed money ever given to a head coach. And there are two option years after that. And with incentives and everything, this could be a $100 billion deal. So clearly, you know, Pistons thought super highly of him. Uh, it's not often you see even six-year deers for coaches now, and you have two options on top of that. So I just I just think it really speaks to just how highly they regard Monty Williams. And we saw what he did in, in Phoenix, right? So I think even, you know, like you asked anybody, I think everybody would agree that this is a, a home run hire for the Pistons. So that's just a brief spiel. Like I brought a story, <laughs> kind of captured all that today. So that's just the uh, gist of it, but obviously a really big hire and probably a really big crowd pleaser for the Pistons as well. And I want to make sure everybody understands because there was a little bit of confusion. This has no weight on the Pistons cap whatsoever. So you can pay a coach. I mean, as far as I know, you can pay a coach whatever you want. And really all it comes down to is the money coming out of Tom Gore's pocket. And someone did ask an interesting question. Does this eventually trickle down to other members of the organization and how much money they make? Like, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to skim somewhere else. I could be wrong, but that's what it's about. This isn't going to affect them being able to sign free agents or anything like that. It has nothing to do with the Pistons' actual cap space. Mari, can you speak any more in depth about the details of the contract in terms of how many years is it right now? How much is it per year? Do we know anything about the incentives? I think there's the eighth year is two extra years, right? Like there's those are club options or something. Uh, You know, like, can you speak a little bit more in detail at all based off what you know right now? So it was initially reported as six years, 78.5 million which is basically right. Uh, really, the average annual amount of the contract is a little bit over $12 million per year, which over six years puts you at about 72 not 78 uh, That's seventh, The seventh and eighth years are essentially team options. But if you think about it from like an NBA player salary standpoint, you have a partial guarantee maybe for one year where uh, the player may not come back, but they still get a little bit of money. Uh, that seventh year for Monty is basically a partial guarantee. Like he may not uh, you know, come back that season if the Pistons decide to part ways with him, but he still would get a little bit of money. Uh, so that's how you get to 78.5, uh, you know, from 72, because uh, those first six years, he's really only making a little bit more than uh, 12 per year. If they pick that seventh year up, then that's like around an additional 12. So now you're talking about, you know, around 90 million in salary. And then, of course, you get to year eight. Uh, that's basically how you get to 102. And there's some, you know, incentives mixed in there, but it's just really just a really, uh, flexible and obviously like big deal for him. Uh, I mean, former coach of the year uh, took him to the finals two years ago. We saw just how much Phoenix transformed uh, pretty quickly, uh, really once he got down there four years ago. You know, Pistons want the same thing. They believe he's a perfect guy for it. And, um, you know, they, they pay big for it. But more or less, that's just how the contract make, breaks down. All right, we're going to get to the questions in just a second and keep sending those in, guys. We got some time. We got some queued up right now. But if you have one, go ahead and send it in the chat. I can't help but think about the positive publicity that this gave the organization. You know, think about Amari even two months ago when the season ended, right? It it was not a positive vibe around the organization in terms of the fan base. I'm not saying within the organization. I'm saying the fan base. And then they do what nobody wanted to see, which was fall all the way to fifth in the NBA draft. 
Omari, I, I can't imagine what would have happened if the Pistons would have landed the number one pick on NBA draft lottery night because I thought Pistons Twitter exploded last night. I saw a Twitter spaces with like 400 people in it right after this happened. It just blew up. There's all sorts of positive vibes. Magic Johnson's tweeting about it. Shams, Woj, everybody's tweeting about it, talking about it. It was the first thing on the front office show when I turned on that podcast today. I, I realize that you know this was about getting a good coach and you can't just throw millions of dollars for positive publicity but i feel like this has put tom gores and the organization back in pretty decent favor with the fan base and is going to sell some tickets at least early in the season based off this move do you agree with that do you think that played into this decision at all because as much as i was a fan of charles lee i don't think we're having all of this excitement if charles lee would have been hired last night yeah i mean he's trying to be good at coach like as established as Monty Williams is going to be met with that type of reaction because he's one of the most well-respected people in the NBA, of course, and has certainly proven himself to be one of the top coaches in the league, uh, you know, especially over the last three or four years or so. Yeah, I would say I think a lot of it, you know, for fans too, probably comes from the fact that, you know, people were a little bit worried about somebody. I know people were kind of worried about Kevin Ali, obviously, uh, not really being in, like, the lead chair for five years. And even then, he had only been on the college level, uh, not the pro level. And we don't know if he would have been a good coach or not, right? I mean, you know, truly nobody knows. Like, I remember Steve Kerr was not like a home run hire when the Warriors hired him, uh, what it's been, you know, eight or nine years now. So you really never know if a coach is going to be good or not. But, you know, I think from the fans, there's probably some worry as far as, um, you know, Artie's Kevin is going to be able to get us to that next step because, you know, of course, you know, Kevin Dolly, but even Charles Lee, uh, it's a risk to an extent since they have not been in that lead chair before. So, uh, maybe just a sigh of relief for a lot of fans to have a big name, uh, not only that they know, you know, but somebody who is just universally considered to be not only just a great coach, but a great person as well. Uh, definitely a, a big home run for the Pistons, not just from a hiring standpoint, but I think they want to pay higher battle too, going with somebody who's so beloved. Let's get to some questions. So this is from Doug McMiniman. Hi, guys. Thanks for doing this impromptu episode. Yes, we were excited about doing it. We appreciate everybody that's watching with us and then everybody that's listening on podcast. Question, does Monty hiring swing Pistons draft perceptions a lot or just some? I think this is a really interesting question because we're just a couple weeks away from the draft now, Amari. It seems like it was so long and so far away, and now we're right up against it. And now you're adding Monty Williams. I think there's one guy, one name that's going to come up over and over around this question because of the 0.5 second offensive system that comes with Monty Williams that's been talked about. So if anybody who doesn't know what I'm speaking to, I'm talking about this idea of you catch the ball and then you make a decision in half a second. You dribble it, you pass it, you shoot it, you keep the ball moving, flow, kind of just a free-flowing offense. And obviously Cam Whitmore is a guy who that's not necessarily a strong suit. So how much do you think Monty Williams will or should be involved in this number five overall pick? Whether they selected or maybe traded Omari? I mean, I don't think he'll be super, like, he, they're, so they're bringing him in and he's going to have input, you know, like any other coach would, but, you know, I don't think they necessarily changed their draft board because they got Monty Williams. Uh, you know, they have people who scout, you know, these picks throughout the year. Uh, they've had a draft board they've been tweaking for, you know, quite some time, dating back to Dwayne Casey, who's still the head coach. And at the end of the day, like, any good coach would have some input, but it's a front office decision on who they, they draft. Like, if they had, like, let's say they had Jairus Walker, uh, top their board of players like they'd be there at five or um, in Thompson. Uh, but if they hire Monty, I don't think they look at the board and say, well, we have to go back to the drawing board. Uh, you know, I'm sure 
you know, Monty will have input. You know, he's also coming into the process really late. Uh, he hasn't even officially signed, like, hasn't even officially announced yet. And then you have a press conference maybe at some point next week. So it's just a very quick turnaround until the draft. So it's tough to say to an extent he'll be involved in that process. But that's a front office decision, and I don't expect that to really impact what they draft at all. We're just going to bounce around here because I'm going to do these as they came in. This is from Henry Goble. Hey, y'all, do you think Monty's contract will be signed this weekend? And do you think he'll be hiring an entirely new coaching staff? The second part of that question, you touched on the first part just a little bit, Amari. The second part of this question is what's really interesting to me. I was texting you about this. I mean, you know who we've forgotten about in all of this is the Pistons assistant coaches. They've just been in limbo, Amari. I assume they've just been in limbo. And you know, now you hire Monty Williams. Does he have a relationship with Kalamian and Jerome Allen and those guys? Are you going to keep him on staff? I assume he asked for full responsibility to hire whoever he wants and full control of that. So is he going to keep those guys? Who's he going to bring in? And so I think those are the guys that get lost in all that because they got families and, and all of that, and they're not making $12 million a year. So have you heard anything on that aspect of all of this? I know it's very fresh and new, Amari. Yeah, I mean, typically new coaches bring in new staffs. You know, that, that kind of goes without saying, and it wouldn't be, you know, unusual. It would be more unusual for uh, Monty Williams to, to, to keep Dwayne's staff, honestly. Uh, like, that's just how it goes. Like, you know, they usually bring their own staffs in. Like, Monty, you know, he had assistance when he was in Phoenix, so I would, you know, assume that he would probably look there and maybe bring one of those two people in. Uh, you know, assuming he had a good staff, maybe he was going to, you know, part ways with his staff at the end of the year. But, you know, I, he had assistance he had in Phoenix, and those are people that, uh, he had a good working relationship with and believes in, and I would think that, you know, they would probably have a pretty good chance of coming to Detroit. But, uh, you know, typically staffs just, or coaches hire their own staff, so I would be surprised to see, uh, you know, Dwayne's staff come back next season, honestly. Like, it's not saying it can't happen. Like, he may interview them, but typically new coaches bring in new staffs as well. The other aspect that we talked about with this, Omari, is, you know, Charles Lee and Kevin Ollie, right? Like, they've just been held in limbo through this situation as well. And, you know, you hope that, and assume that the Pistons, you know, front office and organization has been up front through the whole thing. But it's tough for Charles Lee. Other jobs have been taken and, you know, were open and now closed. And now where does he go with this? And it's just, it's part of the business. You know, it just, it, it is what it is. I remember I went through the recruiting process, Omari, coming out of JUCO, the first team that really, Division One team that really came after me. They invited me on a visit, said, but... We have someone at your position coming in on a visit the weekend before, a high school kid, and if he commits, then we're not going to bring you on your visit. We've taken away our offer and all of that stuff. So this is just part of sports in terms of if you want a job, if you want to go play for a team, those type of things, sometimes there's somebody in front of you in line, and in this case, it was obviously Monty Williams. Let's look at this question from Steven. Steven, I'm sorry, I'm not going to try your last name because I will just butcher it, and I would rather just apologize without doing that than try to say it and then have to apologize on top. So thank you for the question, Steven. Which players would you guys like to see us go after now that we have Monty as head coach? Love the work y'all do for the Pistons community. First, thank you. We love doing it. We enjoy it. Amari and I were texting about that today. This is something we're really going to dive into, Amari. I feel like on Sunday and then the podcast version will drop Wednesday with Keith Smith. He's the best at this. Here's an interesting name. I want to throw this name at you, Amari. What about Harrison Barnes? We keep talking about Jeremy Grant. What about Harrison Barnes as someone that comes in in a similar role but isn't going to cost as much money it'd be a shorter you know two three year deal but he's not going to demand the same amount of money maybe the kings go on from him because of keegan murray so that's another interesting name and somebody that you know thrived in the warriors system and was successful there so it was just an interesting name i heard today listening to a podcast 
I mean, I think Harrison Barnes will really fit, you know, what Detroit's trying to get next season as far as somebody who can play defense, knock down shots. And he's going to be cheaper than Jeremy Grant, right? You can figure Jeremy Grant's going to take up all their available cap space. Uh, you know, maybe you get Harrison Barnes for, you know, two-thirds of that or maybe even half of that, depending on his market. So uh, if you're moving on from Jeremy or you don't want to invest, you know, all of your cap space into one player, you know, obviously there's a chance he would stay in Portland. Like I said, he will test the market, but it's tough to say where he's going to go exactly. Um, you know, I would think Harrison Barnes would be a perfectly natural fit for the Pistons next season as well. But I would say just overall, you know, as far as their free agency plans, it's kind of like the draft would be. I think they just go out and get good players at this point. Uh, the thing about Monty's, Monty's system isn't like the triangle. Like, you don't necessarily need a very specific personnel to run it. It just requires quick decision-making, find an open shooter, uh, timely cutting. Uh, you know, just playing smart basketball and keeping the ball moving, right? So, you know, I think any player they're going to uh, sign a week from – from yesterday, it's probably the same guys to, to pursue a month from now when free agency starts. This is from Cody, and he's a you know a good supporter here. Do you guys think Jarris is almost a lock at this point, given his insane processing skills? Seems like he's the best fit. Yeah, I mean, I do think. We talked about this a little bit. I do think those guys may have a little bit of a leg up, right? If Monty's going to employ this offensive system, you want guys that are going to fit into it. I think it's more to your point, Amari, where you're probably just looking at guys who aren't just true isolation guys that just want to pound the ball and pound the ball and pound the ball and play ISO for 20 seconds. That's why I was kind of interested with some of the moves the Suns made. And this may be refreshing for Monty as well, Amari. He comes in a high processor guy like Cade. I know Killian question is coming a little bit later. I don't think Jay Nivey is a selfish player by any means. I didn't think that when he was coming out of Purdue. I, you know, he's not the best field guy, but he can catch the ball, attack a closeout, and then make the next read. He's not making high-level reads, but he can make the next one. Jalen Duran, I know this question's coming up just general. Who's the best fit and who may be a little bit not good for the fit? But yes, to answer this is long-winded, Cody. I do think Jarris really fits into what we understand about the offensive system that Monty wants to run. I think he's very high in her draft list. Like It wouldn't surprise me at all if Jarris becomes a piston uh, a month from now or three weeks from now. Uh, is it a lock? Like, I don't know if there's a lock for the, the fifth pick. It just, you know, depends on if they even, you know, stay there. They might try to move up or down or out of it entirely. Uh, I think Jarrett's is high on that list, but, you know, I think there's a real chance for like a Cam Whitmore or even an Anthony Black or some other guys as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens then. But there's a few guys in that spot who I think fit, which you would look for, you know, in a player who can operate this read and react offense. Anthony Black, you know, for example, I think would also check a lot of those same boxes. So I say, if you're looking for a player who I think jumps the most compared to where he was before the money signing, it might be Anthony Black. Because again, yeah. somebody who I really trust in terms of NBA draft evaluation, Sam Vecini says Anthony Black has the highest processing, fastest processing in this draft class. And so if that's really what you believe Monty's looking for in this offensive system, then that's a guy you should really pay attention to. This also has me thinking, Omari, Assuming he does all the offense, and I know we don't know who his assistants are going to be, I'm really interested to see who gets to be the defensive coordinator, quote-unquote, and what that system and scheme is going to be. This is from Gary. Does this coaching signing indicate a more aggressive approach to the team's immediate future, or do you think this offseason plans remain the same? This one's really interesting because I feel like some people see this signing of Monty Williams as a, we got to go all in this offseason, sign a big-name free agent, make a big trade. I actually see the opposite because of the length of the contract, but I'm just curious kind of what you see. I think the plan remains the same. Like, they want to make a leap next season. They won't necessarily be, you know, we have to make a deep playoff run or burn the whole thing down or anything, but they definitely want to see significant progress next season. 
And I think they just saw Monty as the safest bet for that to happen. Uh, you don't have to roll the dice with, you know, a coach who probably has the credentials to sit in the lead chair, but you're not quite sure if it's going to work out. You have somebody in Monty who's done it. You know, you've seen it firsthand. You've coached against him. You've schemed against him. You know who he is as a person. And there's just very, very little risk involved. So I don't think it necessarily means they're going to be more aggressive, but I think it just means they got a coach who can handle whatever direction they decide to go in, right? So, uh, you know, maybe there is maybe there is a fear of like loading too much on a first-time coach's plate where now you have Monty where you don't have to worry about that. So that doesn't mean they're going to be aggressive for sure. It just means that you know whatever direction you go in, uh, Monty is the right coach for the direction you go in. We're going to take a short break, guys. Whenever we come back, we will get to as many questions as we can. We're only going to go two segments, so we got about another 20 minutes. So we'll go through those. We'll get to as many as we can, but we do got to take a short break right here. All right, we are back with segment two, and we have a lot of questions, so we're just going to keep this Q and A going. Oh, well, and, and eighty-seven viewers too, so this is yeah, this is going well. All right, yeah, no, this is, I enjoy it. I, I peek up there every once in a while, and I'm like, man, okay, there's a few more, there's a few more. Stay in here, keep listening. This is from Stephen again. Uh, also, besides Cam Johnson, are there any other former Monty Williams players you think would be good for our team? Kelly Oubre, Jay Crowder. I think Cam Johnson is the name that's really going to be hot now. Amari, it was hot even before this now people are going to try to connect dots I wouldn't mind Kelly Oubre on like just a one year bring him in maybe overpay him for one year to come in and knock down shots I I don't mind Kelly Oubre as a player I know it's not everybody's favorite uh you know person and player but I wouldn't mind that I think a lot depends too you know the draft and what happens with Boyan do you trade Boyan for another pick I don't think that's what's going to happen but if you did now free agency opens up some other avenues but there's still only so many minutes to go around you want Boy on playing. If you draft Cam Whitmore, you want him to play. Can you add another one of these guys? There probably is minutes for it, but you know, at a certain point, that starts to get a little bit tied up, and you still have Isaiah Livers on the roster. So, any of those names really stand out to you at all? Yeah, I mean, they all play the three. Uh, they can all shoot the ball. Uh, two of them defend pretty well, and the other one could probably just win you some games just if he heats up. So, yeah, I mean, I think pretty much any any player uh, who can line up at the three or four or two, depending on the lineup, but primarily the three and knock down shots fits the Pistons. So whenever, whenever player fits that parameter, like I say, yeah, you know, if they can shoot the three and defend, then hundred percent. Ben Chulik, any early speculation on assistant coaches? I don't think you have anything for us yet, Amari. He says, any chance Kevin Young comes with Monty? I feel like I was scrolling Pistons Twitter today and there was a lot of Kevin Young replace Monty in Phoenix, I felt like. Now, that was just that was just Twitter, so I don't know. But I don't think you have any speculation or anything you can really report on or, or add to that, do you? No, nothing at this point. I mean, Monty hasn't even been, like, quote-unquote, officially hired yet. And, you know, like I speculated earlier, he could bring some of his assistants from Phoenix to Detroit just because that's something that head coaches often do. But I don't know for a fact that's going to happen. So, yeah, I really don't have anything to offer at this point. This is from KDA1024. Do you think the Pistons will add another first-round pick? We saw Troy do this last year with Jalen Duran. I think the one way you do it – now, there's two ways. One is Boyan, right? The other way is a trade back. And this is something that I've increasingly kind of – come to terms with and liked a little bit more. I think you made a couple of these in a recent article. I'm sure we'll talk about it with Keith Smith. I'm looking at that number nine pick with, oh my gosh, the team is escaping me right now. 
They have nine in like 16. Who is the the Jazz? Yeah, there we go. The Jazz. Um, We talked about that, I think, on the last episode as well. So I think that's another way they could add a first-round pick, whether this year or in the future. But I think this is talking about this year, obviously. Yeah, I mean, if the Pistons want to, I think they have avenues to do it. You know, I don't know if they necessarily have the same verve to add two rookies to next year's roster, uh, like they did last year, trading for Ivy and and Duran. So maybe you get a second pick and, um, you know, maybe do something to spin it forward or something along those lines. Uh, I don't don't think they're prioritizing getting a second pick in this draft, per se. Uh, A lot of that just depends on what's being offered. But, you know, I don't think they're going into this draft like last year saying we have to get two more young players to add to this class. I think if they just stayed at five, they'd be perfectly fine with that. This is from Camille. He's a big time supporter on Twitter, the podcast, everything. Appreciate you. What do you think the team needs most right now in order for Monty to maximize the roster? I think we have a good chance of finding good wings like Mikael, Cam. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what it is. And, And to your point, Amari, like this roster needed to improve, whether it was Monty Williams, Kevin Ollie, Charles Lee, whoever. And I think that improvement really needed to come from the wings. I don't think, I, th- I think Monty's a good coach, but just because Monty comes in doesn't mean every player on the roster is just going to get better and the roster is going to be better because of that. Obviously, they got to nail the number five pick or whatever they do with it. They have the salary cap space that they have to do the right thing with that. But for me, it's the wing position. However, they decide to attack that, whatever avenue, that's what needs to get better. And that's going to help Monty win more games. Yeah, yeah, whatever they needed, you know, before yesterday, it's the same stuff they need, uh, you know, once Monty is inked in and they have the press conference and all that. They just need wing defense and they just need more shooting uh, in general. And, you know, like, I think the thing about, like, shooting and spacing is that they already have a lot of it on the roster now, so it's more so just guys like Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, you know, continuing to polish their ability to knock down outside shots. But they just need a wing that can defend and, and make plays or uh, defend and hit shots. They'll primarily defend and then give you at least one everything on the offense, depending on how much you're willing to spend, right? If you're doing all three things, maybe that's all your cap space. If they do two of those things, uh, you know, maybe you have some left over. But that's that's the main need for this roster. And really their front court and back courts could be completely set. Uh, the next season and beyond just before you tell that they've invested in those positions. So it's just the middle uh, to me that they really need to shore up. Any breakdown on what a Monty Williams coach team emphasizes schematically? This is from Robert Canfield. Robert, uh, uh, what I know right now is just the point, you know, five half second offense where again, you catch the ball and then you make a decision in half a second, whether to shoot it, pass it or drive it I will say his team still runs plenty of ball screens so I did look that up on synergy today to see what percentage their each play type was spot ups was number one but that is going to be for most teams because you know a driving kick and those type of things but they were still running ball screens I will say this the Pistons were like a top five ball screen usage team this past season and so we may see that go down just a little bit because Detroit this past season was so high and I do want to get into the the film I didn't end up having time today to go look at the film and watch some of Monty Williams from the first two or three years with Phoenix because I think it changed a lot when you get Chris Paul and then obviously with Kevin Durant but those first couple years with Phoenix I'm interested to go watch the offense and just see how it looked and then again defensively I haven't heard as much. I don't know if that's what he does, if one of his assistants, does he bring that assistant, or is it something completely new? So to be completely honest, I don't know what we should expect right now as far as a defensive scheme. Yeah, I'd be curious about defense, too. I did look it up earlier, and Phoenix left from 29th to 17th for defensive rating uh, during Monty's first season. And then I believe they were top 10 uh, the following three seasons. Uh, a lot of that is just like personnel-based, obviously. Like you have Michael Bridges, like Cam Johnson's a pretty good defender. You know, Chris Park is still uh, forced turnovers. Evan Booker, you know, of all the, the star shooting guards, probably one of the better defenders. So 
a lot of that, you know, starts with personnel. Uh, you know, but we'll see on the defensive end. I thought I thought Bryce summed up uh, what he leaves in on offense uh, pretty well. And some of that may be adjusted based on Detroit's uh, roster too, right? Like Ivy and Cade have different strengths and weaknesses than Booker and, you know, Chris Paul. So you probably have to uh, attune to that a little bit. But definitely just quick decision-making on offense, uh, not letting the ball stick, uh, you know, cutting movement, all that stuff. So this is from Jeremy Goldberg. A lot of talk about who benefits the most from Monty's offense, but who might struggle the most. He throws out Beef, Stew, and Wiseman. I will say my initial reaction is probably James Wiseman. This is something he struggled with. Even if you go watch the Warriors film from when he was there, even when he was doing something good, like he just struggled to keep up with that. Now the Warriors do it better than anybody, right? Like there's nobody that moves the ball as fast and as smooth. And guys, here at the end of the day, I think this is important to say as well. This team isn't going to pick up on this and just be, you know, clicking on all cylinders from day one. This is not easy stuff to do. And in some ways, I do want to remind the fan base that we critique Dwayne Casey because Dwayne Casey said he wanted to run kind of a read and react free flow offense. Now maybe Monty does a better job of coaching it or whatever, but this isn't easy. And when it's not being done the right way, guys, it can look really bad. Cam Whitmore at Villanova is the perfect example of this. When you don't have guys that can do it the right way, it turns into isolation, late shot clock heaves, those type of things. So there's still going to be some bad possessions. I am in to see what Monty does in terms of actual sets and plays. But yeah, I mean, if there was one guy I wanted to pinpoint off the top of my head, it would be James Wiseman. I can't think of anybody else. This is what they want Beef Stew to be able to do. It's just on Beef Stew to be able to do it. I would say the thing about the read and react offense is that if you're not a player who could, you know, consistently make the right decisions with the ball in your hands, then you need to exclusively, almost exclusively, just be a, a play finisher, right? Which means you're cutting, you're catching lobs not running out of the dunker spot, uh, not many post-ups at all, and certainly not many extended possessions where you get the ball down low and then you know, you're spending four or five seconds to you know, make a decision whether it's pass it or, or shoot it. So I would say you know, probably Wiseman, like the bigs, uh, you know, probably puts the most pressure on them just to be able to keep their heads up and make quick decisions, right? Uh, you know, Wiseman, Bagley, uh, you know, they do a lot of scoring in the post. And I think Bagley's a lot more decisive than, uh, you know, Wiseman is. I won't put him in the same category. But Wiseman especially, if you see him get the ball and then things are still completely down, right? You know, it's four or five seconds. You know, you're posted up or taking a short jumper or just sort of like a lot of waiting and seeing, like, what opens up. And that's probably going to clash with Monty's philosophy. So it's going to put pressure, I think, on, you know, Wiseman, maybe beef stew to an extent to – Quick decision. If you don't have a quick layup or you're not just going to get a quick shoulder into the defender and put the ball up where, you know, you'll see a pass to the corners, you just got to give the ball up. And that's something that they'll probably hammer on a lot uh, this offseason once Monty gets in and gets established. So another one from Camille, and we have two that ask kind of a similar question. He says, which you think will make the highest leap among Killian, Stu, Wiseman, Bagley, Diallo, and RJ if they stay after Monty? So out of those guys, Omari, which one do you think just in this system with Monty Williams? And, you know, like I say, maybe Monty coaches this better or has, I'm, every coach has their own little twist on things. We don't know it entirely yet, but does one of those guys stand out like, man, this this is a system, this is a coach that you feel like could really help one of these players? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of it, I think for one, when you're dealing with young players, a lot of their struggles are not necessarily scheme reliant, but also just, you know, developmental. Like we talked about Isaiah Stewart and, 
you know, he's going out and he's spacing the floor numbers or the scoring in the, in the paint because I don't think he has more upside along the perimeter. You look at his paint numbers, they just haven't been that great. You know, he's a little undersized. He's not catching a lot of lobs. So uh, you want him to shoot the ball more than operate inside the paint. Uh, you know, but the thing with that is that he's still developing his outside jumper as well. So giving him minutes and allowing him to develop. But, uh, you know, whatever he's been doing, offensively or whatever challenges he's had to me are not necessarily scheme related, but just him developing and running out his skill set so that he can bring something to the table consistently. Like, like same with Killian, like he hasn't really shot the ball well. Uh, he's improved with like that short mid-range jumper that's come on pretty late. Uh, he doesn't get to the line a lot. So it's just more so what could Killian develop that could allow him to be a factor on offense every single night. Uh, same with Wiseman. Uh, you know, Bagley, I think I think Bagley is who Bagley is at this point. I think in any scheme, he could probably do the same thing. Hamdi's coming off of a, a best season, so <laughs> a really great season. So I think as a play finisher, he probably does all the same things for this team. You know, maybe you have a better answer than me, Bryce. That's a tough one for me to answer just because I think a lot of these guys or issues haven't been just because of scheme, but just them running out their skill sets of being young. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I will just say I think the one that gives us the most clarity on is Killian Hayes because now sure. we as Killian fans, whatever, we, we you can't hide behind, oh, it was Coach Casey or this. Like you have a new – we. One thing we talked about with Killian was a fresh start, right? This isn't exactly the same, but there's a lot of fresh start for Killian coming in with Monty Williams, who is, you know, has this reputation as a developmental coach and a system that values high-field players, and Killian is pegged as a high-field player. So I think he's the one of that list where I'm really like, okay, we really find out what he has, what's going to go on with his development, if he can really make it here in Detroit. The next one comes from XGuy9. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. We, we, we can never hear that enough. I always, it makes me smile whenever people you know, show their love for what we do. What players do you think will benefit most from Monty's hiring? I would just say I think Cade thrives in this system because he is such a high-field player, and I think it may unlock Jalen Duren even more. But I've just been over the top about what Jalen Duren can do as a passer, short rolls, make those quick reads, and be a high-field player. So those would be my two quick answers. So tough for me to answer. Like we're not going to be able to judge any of like how much these players improve like under Monty because like they're also going to benefit from Kay Cunningham coming back and being healthy. So, you know, I think there's a lot of players who will look better. Like Killian, for example, going back to the last question, you know, if Killian looks a lot better next year, people may say, yeah, that's that's the Monty Williams magic. And it might be, but it also just be because Killian doesn't have to take 10 or 11 shots a night, right? He's playing behind Ivy and Kay, and he's probably in a, in a row that suits him a little bit more where he can focus purely on defense and playmaking and just scoring opportunistically a couple times a quarter. So, you know, it's so tough to be like, I, like, I think Kate will benefit, you know, obviously being an on-ball guy. Uh, you look at like Devin Booker and I think Kate can give you a lot of what you get from Booker, like, especially when you look at what they do, like from the mid range and, you know, Booker's improved as a playmaker. So maybe there's some parallels there. You know, I think Ivy will benefit a lot too. You know, just, okay, he's already shown that he can be that type of primary decision maker. Uh, you know, so now you come back and you have an offense that's only quick decisions. So like, what can Ivy do off ball? You know, also benefiting from Kay's gravity, but, you know, just from the ball constantly moving, like, can he cut? You know, can he make things happen at the rim? Uh, how does that unlock him? And then I was just say Duran as well. You know, I think being probably the one big Detroit has that has genuine, genuine upside as a passer, right? So you can give it to Duran in the dunker spot, but he keeps it set up. He can, you know, like, toss it to the corners real quick. Like, there's just a lot of flexibility you have in that. So I, I, would, I would list those three. But I think that that is going to be skewed because Kay is going to come back, and that's going to make people's lives easier too. So, you know, whatever Monty asks to the team, you know, like, you'll notice schematically, but 
Kane just being back is probably going to outweigh anything Monty can do just because you still need talent. Well, and you hope natural progression of guys going from their first year to second year, second year to third year. The one thing I will say is the three names we brought up are what I consider to be the real young core of this Pistons team in Cade, Ivy, and Duran. And so that's really a good thing to think about and hear. We'll keep moving along. Dax Hoops and we talked about this a little bit do you feel hiring money changes the timeline including who we target in free agency draft i personally don't again we don't have to get into it in in great depth i think the length of the contract that monty signed knows he's here for the long haul i think their plans are going to be the same they want to be better they want to win more games some of that is going to have to come from natural progression some of it may come from opportunistic moves but i don't think they're just feel this pressure to go get to the play-in game because they hired monty williams I'll say this. I think a six-year deal uh, versus like a three- or four-year deal, I don't think he would have come into a three-year deal. But still, like I think a longer contract shows that the Pistons are waiting to see this out, right? Like they understand that this is an ongoing process and, you know, you got a coach you like, so let's just make a big commitment now. And to me, that that probably lessens the urgency to make something happen next season because Monty is here for six years. Uh, you have cast space, you have the fifth overall pick. But if you don't necessarily like you know, the options or it's more money than you want to spend this summer. Uh, you know, it's not like, all right, well, now Montoni has three years left and we got to maximize it. So what do we do? I mean, he could be here for eight years. I made a massive commitment. So, you know, to me, that communicates, you know, Brendan's for the long haul we're going to not rush the process more than we need to if we think that it'll be better for us in the long run. This is from Zachary Cush. The interesting question, what do we think about Kuzma instead of Grant? Haven't seen his name, but he's from Michigan. I will just say I like Kyle Kuzma. I think Jeremy Grant's an all-around better player because of what he does defensively. I do think Kuz is good. My reason for not bringing him up is I think he's going to end up getting way more than what I would want to pay Kyle Kuzma. That's probably true with Jeremy Grant as well, but I would be a little bit more willing to pay Jeremy Grant just because I know, or what I think I know, Jeremy Grant will be able to provide defensively along with the offensive stuff. So it's not a bad name to bring up Zachary, but that would be my reason for not bringing it up a bunch. I think the thing with Kuzma, like he did uh, have a really good year scoring the ball. Uh, you know, I think if you kind of look at what he could get on the open market, maybe there's a deal that makes sense. But once it gets past a certain point, you, know, you probably want a player who, well, they specifically talked about defense. Like that's like Kuzma just isn't a defense first player, so I would assume that maybe he's not as high on Detroit's party. That's because of that. But he also hasn't shot the three particularly well. You know, so again, I think there's teams where he fits on and like he meshes perfectly. Before Detroit, I don't know if he necessarily addresses their weaknesses. You know, I think everything you get from Kuz, like you pretty much get from Bogdanovic and you probably need to go a different route to address what you don't get from Bogdanovic, which primarily is defense. I think things play out way differently if they end up trading Boyan and there are some options out there to replace what he does a little bit. We got three more questions here. This is from DBT's draft question. Say the Pistons are higher on Jarris than Ken Whitmore. Do you think the Pac's front court could end up hurting Stu's development considering Bags getting paid and interest in James Wiseman? I don't think so. I think you just prioritize playing Jairus Walker, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, and I think those three together is a really, really fun front court. I think any combination can play together at any time. Well, not any time, but depending on when you would need them. And then it's up to Marvin Bagley III and James Wiseman to find their own minutes, work into the rotation. Obviously, there's room for a fourth big. I don't think drafting Jairus Walker is an issue at all. I don't think it's an issue either. I think Jarrett's skill set is entirely unique, given that he's probably the best on-ball creator of anybody in Detroit's front court and probably has more shooting upside than everybody except, you know, maybe Stu and maybe even that's debatable. 
So I don't think, you know, I think all those guys can kind of inter, like intermesh and play together as well. And like where it comes to worse, you can always make a trade if, you know, you have significant uh, concerns about just how that rotation shakes out. But from my view, I think I think all those guys could coexist. And, you know, I don't think it hurts Stewart much at all, especially if Stewart comes back shooting 38.9% or whatever he shot, you know, during his first 25 games a season. Yeah, and I will say there's some college numbers that actually support Stewart as the better three-point shooter because of the free throw percentage, which a lot of people believe in. Jarris, it's a little harder to believe in the three-point shooting because the free throw percentage wasn't as good. Jack Kelly, thank you, my guy. He says, my guy's jumping in a little late here, but do we know when Monty's introductory press conference could be? Omari, any insight to that? Yeah, what's up, Jack? Uh, I think it'll be next week. Like, that's not 100% yet, but my guess is that it'll be sometime next week. So we will see. Thank you, Jack. Make sure you guys, if you're listening right now, Jack and Wes are going live here in about an hour and 15 minutes on Detroit Bad Boys Live here on YouTube. Go eat supper, whatever you do, and then come back here at would be 8 p.m. Eastern and tune in with those two guys. They're doing big things in Pistons content creation as well. Um, Mel Zeno 7 has there been any insight into what Coach Casey's role in the front office is or will be? This is a really interesting question, a little different than Monty Williams, but I'm interested in this as well, Amari. Not a question I've asked you just whenever we've been talking yeah i mean last i checked in on it you know it hadn't been quite decided yet uh, i mean obviously they think super highly of Dwayne, and you know i think they'll give him freedom to define the role as he sees fit but probably just best described as just a general advisor role i mean duane has been a coach like what four decades and uh you know obviously you know deeply involved in player development uh there's probably no area that he can't help the pistons with so you know i wouldn't be shocked if they never really gave him an official title and it just remained an advisory role two more Wes put us in here. I think we can get to him. YouTube user, a lot of positives with Monty, but what are some of the errors he struggles with as a coach? The one thing I've heard is that he struggled to make adjustments in the playoffs. And I kind of just push that to the side because I'm like, if he gets the Pistons to the playoffs, then we can worry about that then. Now, I realize big picture, hopefully that is something that comes into play, right? Like you can't just push it off to the side and say it's never an issue. But it seems like that was the one thing that came up with people that I have talked to is just those in-game, in-series adjustments in the playoffs. And we all know the playoff game is completely different. So again, I realize that hopefully will come into play eventually because that's where this team wants to get. But for right now, I'm like, if that's the first weakness that comes up because he's good developing players, he's good schematically, X and O's offensively, he's a really, really, really good person by all accounts, then I can handle like, hey, maybe he's got some growing to do with playoff series and those type of things. I don't know if you've heard anything different, Omari. Yeah, I mean, I really haven't heard much bad about Monty Williams at all. I mean, he's pretty widely respected, you know, certainly seen as one of the best leaders uh, in the NBA and, you know, pretty good to X's and O's as well. I mean, we could just see, you know, just how much Phoenix transformed over the, the last four years where, you know, they were top 10 in both offense and defense, you know, it's last three seasons, I believe. So, uh, you know, the track record speaks for itself. Like, of course, people will always, I think people will always criticize rotations. I think people always criticize adjustments or lack of adjustments. And I think a lot of that's just, you know, debatable or in the eye of the beholder. Uh, you know, sometimes they can be a player and they get hot. Uh, you know, it's tough for me to say that that's a weakness for them. So, you know, we will see, but I really haven't heard 
much or anything at all negative about him. All right, last question. I promise, Omari, I know you got things to do. You've had a long day writing articles, doing everything. We appreciate you making time for this. This is from Derek. We got, we got to get to Derek Brooks because Derek Brooks is a big supporter. really appreciate him. And so from a style fit to Monty, how do you think Monty would rank prioritize our current four bigs? So we'll end the podcast on this one, Omari. We got Wiseman, Duran, Stu, and Bagley. How do you think just what we've heard about Monty and the offense, how would you rank those four guys? I would say just probably as far as just being the cleanest fit, like probably Duran and Isaiah Stewart are the most natural. Uh, just because Isaiah Stewart, like I still think he'll be you know, a floor spacer. Uh, he shot the ball really well last year, and then he kind of had the shoulder injury, which they said that hurt his shooting. I don't know, but I do think he'll be able to shoot the ball pretty well next season. Uh, so between that and then just Jalen Durant's vertical spacing, he's not somebody who needs the ball at all, which works in his favor. Uh, just being a, a finisher, but then also just the passing upside he has. To me, those two are just the cleanest fit in in most schemes when you just look at how the NBA has progressed over the last few years. We are prioritizing easy shots at the rim and you know shots from three, of course. Things that can do that probably always have a leg up. And then, you know, I think Bagley would probably be fine. I think the main question mark right now is just James Wiseman, you know, just given that he's going back to a read and react scheme. Probably not a direct copy of what he had in, in Golden State, but the fact that he didn't play as much there. Uh, you know, he was a bit of a ball stopper last season, right? Like, still really talented. I still think he'll figure things out. He was a bit of a ball stopper. He's going to have to uh, make good decisions with it, you know, cut the turnovers down and, you know, be able to find open shooters and, just move quickly with it in general. I'm not going to change anything there. My list is the same. Ryan Anton has the same list. The one thing I'll say, just being a coach, sometimes you want to come in and you want to fix those guys, right? You want to see if you can coach them up. So I could see Monty seeing the skill set of James Wiseman, who he was supposed to be coming into the NBA and really taking to him and seeing if he can unlock that skill set. Because I think it's a little bit more of a mentality thing with Wiseman. There is some feel stuff, but he has a skill set that could work in this system and so I could see him take particular interest in him to see if he could unlock you know that talent but you could say the same thing with Marvin Bagley the third he was a high draft pick in his own right I do think it'll be really interesting I want to put this one up real quick this was from Doug McMiniman thank you gentlemen I've never missed a Pistons poll since you started and you guys only get better good job thank you again thank you to everybody yes thank you to everybody who commented said any nice things left a question I know we didn't get to all of them guys I apologize um um, we really appreciate it. We value all of you that tuned in, whether it was here for five minutes or you were with us for the whole 45. If you're listening on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in, downloading, and listening to the podcast every week. Remember, we will be back on Wednesday from now on for the next few weeks, dropping those episodes on podcast. Leave us a rating review. And if you want to tune in live Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we will be with Keith Smith right here on this YouTube live, talking to him about the Pistons offseason as a whole. This was a blast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Wes, thank you for holding it down behind the scenes. Omari, take it away, my guy. Yeah, we'll be back on Sunday with Keith Smith, so definitely come back for that. And just appreciate the support. I mean, we got a really good crowd, and clearly we need to do uh, you know, evenings more often. Like, time per, per permitting, I mean, I think we we'll, we'll both love to do it. just comes down to our respective schedules, and we know Bryce is the father of, of, of three kids. So so we'll see. We'll see. But this was fun. So, again, big thanks to everybody for joining us this evening to talk about Monty Williams. So I'll go ahead and close this out. Uh, big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkman Crawford. Also, big shout-out to Wes, as always. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.